Nobody else is paying your bills. So those people that you're worried about who are going to, you know, throw some shade on your Instagram post or whatever it is, are they paying your bills? They're not. So you have to put all of that aside. And I just, yeah, also just had that tough conversation about this is the deal. In, in the work that we do, this is part of the deal. Today's episode is brought to you by Descript. Every book, podcast, and YouTube video that I publish is transcribed by Descript. I've used all of the competitors and nobody comes close to their quality. And the price is the lowest in the business as well. If you want to speed up production and grow your online business, go to servemaster.com front slash Descript right now. Are you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Serve No Master Podcast, where you'll learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep. Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author, Jonathan Green. Now, here's your host. Welcome to another amazing episode of the Serve No Master Podcast. I'm so excited to have Michelle Hex here coming all the way from Australia. She's a fifth degree black belt, so you better listen to what she has to say. She's been teaching martial arts schools and other amazing people how to become coaches and start to generate high ticket clients for more than a decade. In fact, it's almost 20 years now, so she knows what she's talking about. We're very lucky to have her here, and I'm so excited. Michelle, thank you for joining us today. You are very welcome. Um, it's really great to be here. And I love the name of your podcast, Serve No Master. I think that's been a philosophy of mine for quite a long time now. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad to have you here. A lot of what your website talks about and your books talk about is getting clients and coaching clients and the idea of a high ticket client. And before we dive into that, I'd like to know your definition of a high ticket client. Because some people I talk to, it's $1,000. Some people, it's $300,000. Yeah. So for me, the high ticket clients are the five figure and above clients. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I, I've never really thought to put a, a figure on it before really, but I typically, yeah, don't really think about a number, but the clients that I, that I take on board are, are definitely in that five figure bracket. But, you know, maybe three years ago, I would have called a $5,000 package, a high ticket package. So I think it really does depend on where you are and what it is for you. But for me, it's, it's that 10,000 and above. Would you say your training or the content has changed significantly since your price went from 5000 to 10000 and up? No, no, it really hasn't. Yeah. The fundamentals, it's so interesting. You know, we spoke a minute ago about like my, my experience and I started coaching coaches back in the, the 1990s and the fundamentals are still very, very similar. Obviously, there are different platforms and things out there when we talk about messaging, but essentially, good packaging is good packaging, <laughs> for example, you know, very, very much fundamental driven. So that dives into my core question, which is often as coaches, I know for myself, my very first project I took as the ghostwriter, I was paid $800. And now I charge $40,000. And I put in less effort now than I did back then. Back then, I did so much research, and now I can afford to have other people do it for me. And the content has changed maybe 5%. I haven't become a 50 times better writer, but it's often we think we can only charge so much or that people only pay so much and that's what holds us back. So I wonder how can people push themselves higher faster to find their right number? Yeah, that's a really great question. And it's so true. You know, I have a lot of coaches come to me who are still feeling like they need to be more experienced or they need to learn something new before they can charge those high ticket prices. And it's, it's really not about that. How you can get there faster is just be confident. And typically 
clients, when they go to charge those higher price points, they kind of feel like they have to make it fancier and they need to add more and they end up sort of slipping outside their sweet spot. And so what happens is they they typically tend to lose that confidence. So I, I just want to remind everybody that the offer that you have right now compared to the offer that you may charge in a week's time, doubling your prices is going to be pretty much the same. It's just your level of confidence and your, you know, the, the ability to focus on the outcome. You know, I work with a lot of business type clients. So clients that are here to help other people make money. And so, you know, I help them to get really clear about the outcome. What is the, what is the big promise that you're making? What is the outcome that you're delivering? And then once we go through that offer, I have them sort of without getting too woo woo, kind of energetically go through the offer and ask themselves, does anything feel out of place? Does anything feel uncomfortable? Does, is there anything in the copy that makes me feel like I'm overstating, for example? And if there's that stuff going on, I have them remove it because the confidence and really fully being able to get behind that offer and knowing that you're good at what you do and you can deliver that outcome is the difference between being able to charge 10,000 a month and 2,000 a month really at the end of the day. I think that's a really important lesson. One thing I learned, I used to throw in, I'll design your book cover as well for my clients. I have clients paying me five, 10, $20,000 at this time. And then a cover design that cost me $20 would, they would be hate it and then not pay me. It would lose me thousands of dollars on the deal. And what's crazy to me, at least counterintuitive is that as I've taken away more from my offer, and raise the price, the customers are happier. So I give less, I put in less work. It's easier for me, exactly that. I add in, I took away all the additional services, tripled the price, and people are jumping at it. So it is interesting to find out that it's not about adding in all the bells and whistles. Sometimes we just want something that's really good at that one thing. And that I find when someone tells me they're good at like three things, I start to get nervous that maybe they're just okay at all three. Yeah, I agree. Remember, I don't know, and I probably still does go on, but I remember that people were business life relationship coaches. And I'm like, how can you be a really good business coach and be a really good life coach and be a really good relationship coach? I'm not about it. I'm about being a specialist at what I do. And it's it's so interesting when you spoke about you know, the the book cover and, and things like that. I used to have this program, or I still have it. It's a digital course now, but it was called the 5K Formula for Coaches. And it was probably one of my most successful coaching packages and group coaching programs because I basically showed people how to package $5,000 coaching packages and sell them. And when I first launched that thing, because I could do all the things, I don't know about you, but I was pretty much self-taught all the way through with all the tech stuff and everything else. And so I decided in my wisdom, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to build the sales page for them. I'm going to write the copy for them. I'm going to do all the things. And I did that because I was really good at it. But I was tapped out in no time. I was very, very busy. And then I lost the joy and the, you know, it's like if I have to write another goddamn sales page, you know, I just lost the passion for it. And now I don't do any of those things. And I find we get a better result because I'm making my people be resourceful. They have to go out and figure that stuff out and hire the right people if they can't do it themselves. And I'll always oversee it and all the rest of it. But my life is so much simpler now. So definitely my experience is your experience. And we, you know, a word of warning to the people out there that want to throw in the steak knives, don't do it. You know, just keep your offer really simple, focus on the the problem that you're solving and become an expert at that. I think what you're saying is really good about refining to what you're really good at. So my problem, and it's, you have a similar, I'm good at different things. So I was in the relationship and dating niche for a long time, worked with a lot of clients, men and women around the world. 
And then I got married. I've got four kids now. I don't want to do that anymore. So I kind of sold off that business, kind of moved all the assets to let someone else run it because they don't want to do it anymore. But if I tell people, I learned this when I was, when I first learned about dating, if I met someone at a bar and I said, Oh, I do two things. I run an online business and I'm a teacher. I was teaching university. They wouldn't know what to do because people don't know how to categorize them. They go, I want to put you in a box. Which box do I put you in? And it's confusing. I used to have this friend when people would say, are you in a relationship? He'd go kind of, and they would go, I don't have a box for that. And they would run away because it's, people don't like to be confused. Our greatest fear is to find out we're dumb, like to say something and someone's gonna go, what are you, an idiot? And so when we get confused, we pull back. So I think it's really good to refine. I get approached about coaching a lot. I actually only do one small type of coaching. I only coach authors, which is a small part of my business. Most of my business isn't that, but people come to me, I go, look, I don't do business coaching. I'm not as good at it. I'm okay at it, but I'm so good. Having written, I've ghostwritten over 300 bestsellers. It's really good at that. So I, yeah. I talked to one of my friends. I was like, people ask for this, but I'm really good at this. And actually book coaching to me, it's so easy because I've done it so many times. It's not hard. Whereas business coaching, I'm always nervous that they'll get confused by something, but I can talk about chapter structure forever. So I think that's a critical lesson for people. It's okay to be really good, really, really good at just one thing. I would much rather hire a specialist. I hire coaches all the time. I want help with my Amazon merch. I just talked to someone who only does Amazon merch. So I think that is a really good lesson is to refine that one specific thing. Now, you, we mentioned earlier that pandemic is going on and there's lockdowns coming and going all the time. I live on a small tropical island. We have our own whole different set of things. So I'm, we're not allowed to leave the island until we get vaccinated. So I had to get vaccinated and I got super sick, all of that experience. But what I noticed, especially when I spend a lot of time on social audio, is that everyone suddenly became a coach. And I yeah. wonder who should and who should not be a coach. Because I've talked to a lot of people who say they're coaches, and I say, well, have you done it? And how many clients do you have? And where does it come from? Because to me, I'm very paranoid. I come from a place where I'm like, my worst nightmare is someone to pay me a lot of money and it doesn't work. I'm very paranoid about that. And that's the place I come from. That's why my products are always so much graphics, so much design. That's why I spent 30 minutes before this call setting up the lights, moving these lights. I was like, is the shade on my face perfect? Probably <laughs> nobody cares. 1% of people even know. Most people are only going to listen to the audio. But I think about that because I want people to get the best. And so I wonder about this surge of people that are suddenly coaches. And what's the line? Who should and who shouldn't be a coach? Or how should you find the right thing for you to do to where you can I only want people to become coaches they're actually going to be good at or help people. That's very important to me. So that's kind of my wonder as someone who's really more of an expert at this than me. Who should and should, shouldn't be a coach or how do you know what's the right thing for you? Yeah, you know, I feel like most people that feel like they want to be coaches are typically, you know, they've got coaching in them. They really do. So I think it really is a case-by-case basis. But, you know, I've worked with so many coaches over the years and where most people fall down is the business side of coaching as opposed to the coaching side of coaching. And we've got to keep those quite separate. And I'm a purist when it comes to coaching because back in the day when I did my coaching training, I trained under a guy called David Rock. And if you Google him, he's he's an incredible brain. And so this was back in the 90s. And so I, I became a qualified coach through him. And one of the things that he always said and really stuck with me is that 
coaching is not mentoring. Coaching, so what I do is technically not coaching. What I do is more mentoring because coaching is the, you know, the purists will say coaching by definition is asking the right questions to draw the answers out of the person so that they can come to their own conclusions, right, and offer feedback and things like that. People that come to me and pay me the money that they pay me, they don't have time for that, you know, so there's an element of coaching, but there's also an element of mentoring. And so we have to know what it is that we're doing. So if you are going to be a coach, you need to know how to ask questions. You need to know how to move people through, you know, those challenges and blocks and things like that. You've got to, I think, have some experience in that place. You know, one of the, I see fitness trainers as coaches as well, you know, personal trainers and things like that. And I remember many, many, many years ago now, I'm talking, you know, it would have been in the 90s. I did a tour with an organization that accredited fitness trainers and I was in a bus and we were going around to a whole bunch of different gyms and personal training studios and things like that. We're looking behind the scenes and I'm on this bus and I'm talking to these people and I look to the people beside me and I said, oh, what do you do? You know, because I've got a full on martial arts background. I was a fighter for a lot of years. I had my martial arts schools at the time. And so for me, it's like, this is an extension of my passion. And a lot of the people that I spoke to were like, oh no, this just, you know, is the business that I want to get into. And I'm like, um, hang on, like, uh, isn't this a burning desire because you, you've, you're into fitness? And it shocked the crap out of me that they had no background in fitness. And so in my opinion, they are not the people that we should be teaching people how to get fit and be excited about fitness. And it's the same with any sort of business coaching. You know, there are there are coaches out there who have created success, right? Say you are a coach and you've written a book and you got it to Amazon bestseller, right? Because you've got a decent audience or whatever. That does not automatically mean you should become a book coach, a book writing coach. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, we can't just have an experience or a success of our own and then go out there and tell the world that this is what we're good at. I think we, we, I mean, there's no rules, right? There's no one that says you can't do that. That person might be the best person in the world, but you want to make sure that you've got a framework. You want to basically make sure you know how to move people from no freaking idea about how to write a book to being an Amazon bestseller. And it's not just the process. You need to also know human beings and know that if it was simply a formula of A, B equals C, then everybody would be successful. But the human element comes in and the human element is, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm good enough. I'm just going to procrastinate for a little while because I've got some resistance and I'm going to go pretend to do something else. You've got to know how to move people through that. And a lot of people don't. A lot of people will take somebody's excuse at face value and we've got to get underneath that regardless of the type of coaching you do. And you would know that from the relationship coaching, right? People have got all sorts of creative, you know, excuses when when the rubber hits the road and they actually have to do the real work and they're faced with their resistance, right? And and what we have to be good at is moving people through that. Now, if you have had a success in something and you know how to do something because you did it for yourself and then you decide that you want to become a coach but you don't know how to do that, then you're going to be in trouble. Does that answer the question? Sorry, I went on no, the that's wonderful. I'm just thinking of so many questions I want to ask. So one thing when I was doing relationship coaching was all in person. I would go with someone out and say, let's talk to men or let's talk to women. And what I learned from that experience was 90% of people respond to positive coaching and 10% respond to negative. And negative coaching is where 
how afraid they are to talk to someone, once I get the shame equalized, they go do it. And that's how I operate. I actually responded to that in the same way. And if I didn't, that's I would have never met my wife. So that's what worked on me. But most people are like, you can do it. You're amazing. You're wonderful. And so it's yes. that that was one of the first things I learned that was so surprising. I was like, oh, some people need to be told good stuff and some people need to say horrible things to motivate. And I know that's true in personal training. My trainer, one of my previous trainers once told me, one of my clients when we're on a call wants me to call her like fat cow and stuff. He's like, I can't do it. I was like, I understand not wanting to do it. Some people are motivated that way, which is one of the first challenges. And I'm sure there's so many more. But one of the things in book coaching is that people just disappear. So as ghostwriting, one of the things I learned is that maybe 40% of my clients never read the rough draft. They pay me a huge amount of money. I do all these interviews, put in all this work, and they never read the rough draft. Book never gets published. And so what I did is I raised my fee. So I have an additional number in there that covers the nobody ever sees my work. And so I added in these fees. And that's, of course, the service. But in my book coaching, what I noticed is that they just disappear because they got to write the book. They have to do it. And I... Every time they message me, I respond 10 minutes later because they have my, they can text me and I'm shooting them videos and all that stuff. But there's this thing inside of me at first. It was like, it's my fault. They're not putting in the work. And it's, it's not really true. They're both doing two massive things. One of them is working on a massive event at a TED talk and the other one is doing a huge launch in their business. So I understand people being busy, but there's this thing inside you that goes, it's my fault. They're not taking action. So what's the right way to deal with that? Cause I kind of shifted to I'm there if they need me, but I'm not going to chase them because then I become or I come across as needy when really I'm just trying to give them the best results. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's an awesome question. So I think for me, it, it comes down to initially setting setting the boundaries at the very beginning and letting people know this is how I, most people that come to work with me, they know how I work. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hard ass, you know, it's, it's like, if you say you want something, you better mean it because I'm going to mean it. You know, I'm going to make sure that you get that thing sort of thing. And so I think what it comes down to is we have to be so confident in ourselves that we have to have the courage to have the tough conversations. And sometimes the conversation is something like, so when someone goes missing, which doesn't really happen for me anymore, but I remember it happened a lot in the day and I would have taken it on board and made it about me like we all do. It's like, oh, it's my fault, whatever, right? So now I'm really clear with the question. I'm like, what's going on here? Are you avo- like, are you avoiding something? Are you really busy? Like, let's have a conversation about why this thing hasn't been done. And it's just a lot of the time, it's really simple. It's saying what you're thinking. And a lot of people won't have the courage to ask those questions. And sometimes we've got to have those tough conversations. And what you said before is so true about some people respond to having their butts kicked. Other people respond to being told how amazing they are. I'm never going to be the coach that is all about the praise. Like I'm definitely, I will give credit where it's due and I want to be encouraging, but you know, so much of what I do comes back to my, my martial arts training, right? And my head instructor, Mr. Chung, was never heaping the praise on me. It was like you might get the odd kind of nod every now and then when you fought to the death and you came out bloodied and you didn't die. And he's like, oh, yeah, that was okay sort of thing. So you kind of get used to not having a lot of praise, right? And then I remember when I was training a lot of my students and training people to be black belt, you spoke about people going missing. I would have people, so in my style, it's WTF, who knew that that was going to be a thing, but World Taekwondo Federation Taekwondo, so the Olympic style. And you start at white belt and then you grade three stripes on a yellow belt. So that's another three gradings, three stripes on your blue belt, three stripes on your red belt, and then black belt is after that. So it's 10 gradings. 
and people will get to the red belt phase and then they'll go missing. The same thing. And back in the day, I used to think, oh, I suck as an instructor and all the rest of it. And then one day it dawned on me, it's like, oh, they're scared. Oh, suddenly they're faced with the fact that they're going to be a black belt and it's such a big deal because they built it up. So what I started doing when people were going missing, I'd give them, I'd call them and I'm like, you need to come in and talk to me about what's going on. I'm like, why are you like, why, what's happening? And they're like, oh, I just don't think I'm good enough. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I would have this conversation and I was able to move these people to grade through to their black belt and beyond. And that has served me so well in the coaching that I do now, because when people go missing or when they start making excuses, I know what it's about. I know that it's, they're scared. They're being confronted with reaching the goal, you know, whatever it is, right? There's some human nature element at play and I know it's not my fault. And that's what makes it the difference between a good coach and an exceptional coach. I think having that understanding of human nature and being able to move them through it. But when it comes to that whole conversation about coaches thinking they suck because their clients are quitting or or going missing or they're not getting results. And what I always say to my people is you are going to absolutely, because the question comes up, right? What if I have a client and I don't get a result, especially if we're talking at the high high ticket space? And I'm like, oh, I can put that to bed straight away. You are going to have a lot of clients that don't get results. That's just going to happen. So now that we know that that's going to happen, let's not worry about that. And I said, most of the time, it's not going to be your fault. So long as you can hand on heart, say, this is my offer. This is the big promise that I'm making. This is the outcome that's going to be delivered if you do the work. Hand on heart, I know I can deliver this if you do your part. That's all you can do. What the other person does on the other end of it is going to be up to them. You know, I a couple of years ago, I had a client, you know, she paid me a lot of money to go through a six-month mentorship program that I was running at the time. And she was just, it was like, you know, the, the the donkey being pulled along, like, just like, no, you know, they just don't want to move. And the, the person's like dragging them. And, you know, I, I sort of did what I could, but I wasn't going to go chasing them. That's not how I do it. And it, towards the end, I just had many conversations with her where I basically said, I don't think you're cut out for this. I don't think you have the courage to be able to do what you need to do. And she said, oh, my God, thank you so much. I don't think I do either. And I'm like, that was a very expensive lesson of something that you probably knew already, but I would rarely say that to somebody. But it's like you're probably going to be okay with the coaching side of things, but you're not going to be okay with the business side of things. And she agreed and she went and got a job and now she's happy working in a, a new job. And some people just are not cut out for having those tough conversations and they're not cut out for the business of coaching, which is completely separate to the, to the, you know, the art of coaching, I guess. Yeah. My experiences with almost all the business models I deal with are the online business model, whether you're starting a t-shirt store or drop shipping from China or coaching or doing what I do, email marketing and all of that. People think there's no effort components. And I find like a lot of my students, as we get them an audience, they don't want to email them. And so that was a hurdle I've worked over a long time. I'm like, you have a thousand people that I know are spending money because I know this audience. I know where it came from. And I have two people. One person's making a ton of money, the other person. And they're always like, I say, well, how many emails did you send last month? One. Well, that's why the other person sent 30, 30 more shots. But there's this, people always find their inactivity point. And I learned in my course where it is. Everyone hits this wall. They, because they're afraid of being, I don't know, maybe annoying is, 
the right word, but they're afraid of invading someone's house with an email. I mean, I've never been offended by an email. I get a lot of spam. I get, because I have a public email address, because I have a public website, I get so many emails from Nigeria saying they found hundreds of million dollars. I didn't know that scam was still active. I got 10 of those emails today. I've never been like, this hurts my feelings or upsets me or I hate this person. And so, but there's this fear people have and this inactivity point. So how can people, whether it's becoming a coach, you know, and I find like people, they start a t-shirt store, they don't upload any designs and they don't share the link with anyone. A lot of people, I teach a lot of people to start making money online. I say, start ghostwriting. There's so much work for blog writing right now. It's crazy. I know hundreds of people hiring and they pay a lot more than minimum wage. It's the fastest way to a hundred dollars an hour that I know of, but they don't tell anyone. I'm like, how do they go? How do you get ghostwriting clients? Here's how I get ghostwriting clients. I just tell people I'm a ghostwriter. I don't mention it on my, it's not on my website at all. People have to cold email me and say, do you still ghostwrite? Or it's a referral. That's it. And they don't, they don't do that. People are afraid to say what they do. I think there's this fear of judgment of going, how can you be a writer? You haven't done anything. Or how can you be a coach? You haven't done anything. And so how can people at those different barriers or fear points, how can they overcome those things to find out if they should be a coach or maybe they should be doing something else and it's okay to be in a career? Yeah, I feel like the inactivity, like you, you said, you know, it's, it's, it's not about the email because they have time. They know how to write the email. It's not about the email. It's what's underlying that. And it's, well, you know, I think I'm annoying people. It's like, well, people have this little thing called an unsubscribe button. If they don't like it, then, you know, they will unsubscribe. So we're not going to worry about that. You know, we're just going to do our part. And so one of the things that I always say to my clients is nobody else is paying your bills. So those people that you're worried about who are going to, you know, throw some shade on your Instagram post or whatever it is, are they paying your bills? They're not. So you have to put all of that aside. And I just, yeah, also just had that tough conversation about this is the deal. In in the work that we do, this is part of the deal. So, you know, coaching is a component of it for sure, but the visibility stuff and all the other things that we do are definitely, you know, a bigger part of it. And if you're not prepared to do that, then don't bother because really you're wasting everybody's time and you're just going to put yourself through misery for however long until you realize that I'm not cut out for this. But usually I'm always going to explore like, why are you not doing this? Well, I think I'm annoying people. And it's like, okay, why do you think, you know, and then we we kind of dig around in that for a little bit until I basically make them see how stupid they're being. And then they realize, okay, you're right. You know, I'll just go do it. But if that keeps resurfacing, we know it's a bigger problem, right? We know it's 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 never about the business. It's about the human underneath the business. And we've got to figure it out. And, and then we have to figure out whether they're, you know, whether, whether this, because it's supposed to be fun, right? Like, you know, having the the solo entrepreneur life where we get to work from our laptops wherever the hell we, we are at the time and, you know, have the freedom and all those sorts of things. Like right now I'm dressed, I'm party up the top and like work out gear down the bottom because I'm going to fly straight out to go with my trainer, right? And like we love this lifestyle and it's fun. It's meant to be fun. There is definitely, you know, parts of it that are challenging. It, it's like if you want to do the best personal development program on the planet, then start your own coaching business or any online business because you've got to figure stuff out about yourself. But, you know, if you are just miserable and scared all of the time, then that's not the life for you. Like we we don't want to live life like that. It's supposed to be rewarding. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people who like the idea of what we do. For example, about five or six years ago, travel blogging was so hot. There were all these new blogs about traveling around the world. I was following a lot of them 
because I live internationally. I travel a lot before I got married. I was traveling full time. And what I noticed is once they made enough money to start being able to travel, all the blogs died because they didn't know how to travel and work. And so when they were traveling, they stopped doing all their work. So that's why almost every travel blog, they're all dead. And it was very interesting to me because we don't prepare for all the eventualities. A lot of my friends who started when I did back in 2010, that's where I really launched my business. They bought office space, hired 10 or 20 employees and started building agencies and building that business model. I was like, guys, I'm going to live on an island. And they were like shocked. I was like, guys, isn't that why we do this? I thought we got into this business. Like I, I live on a tropical island. My front door is 88 meters from the beach. I measured it. I walk across the street. I was swimming in the ocean about a couple hours ago. I'm, that's what I always wanted. But my friend visited me one time. He goes, well, what do you do when you want to go to a nice restaurant? I was like, well, you don't live here. And someone else once said, well, what do you do when you want to go to the opera? I was like, we don't have that in this country. So it has to be what you want. And I think that a lot of people want some part and not all of the parts because it's, I think what we do is like being on a trapeze with no net. Like every month, I have to make a certain amount of money to pay all my bills, to pay all my employees, buy my kids all the Christmas presents they want. And it's all on me. Yes. When I have a bad day, it's all on me. When I have a huge day, it's all on me. And I feel like I'm in the game. There's this feeling, and I, I know you, you said you used to fight competitively, and I did a little amateur taekwondo when I was in high school. I fought in some competitions, and there's this feeling when you're in the ring, when it's you, and there's nothing else matters. Either you win or you lose, and you can't blame anyone else. No. And there's that feeling, but it's very stressful. It can be very, very stressful if it's not what you're meant to be. And I think that's okay. My, the rest of my family is all employees. And I, have, I think it's great. They're all very successful, but I totally understand that there's this feeling that people aren't ready for to realize, no, it's all on you. If one of my kids gets sick and we don't have enough money to pay for the hospital bill, it's all on me. And that is either you love that or you hate it because I can understand why it's so stressful. It's such a nightmare. We don't have money for rent this month. Maybe I should just get a job and go back to work because I used to have those feelings a decade ago. But how can people figure out if that's right for them, if they should be in the game? Because there's this new language now that I don't use, which a lot of people are trying to start a side hustle, which can be anything from driving Uber to starting a coaching business, which to me are very different. How do yeah. people know if they should dive into the pool or maybe dabble with a side hustle? Don't you, don't you know what you're in your Noah though? You know, I, I mean, I, I am, I think completely unemployable. Like I have been doing this. I, so I'm 52 and I have been employed by myself since I was 22. So we're talking 30 years. And, you know, I did the thing where I worked in hospitality and stuff like that in the early days. And like, it was okay, but I, when I had to do split shifts or what, you know, any, anything that required me to be somewhere at a certain time or stay for a certain period of time, it's just like, this can't be life. Like this can't be the life that I, you know, I remember working jobs until I had enough money so I could go travel and things like that. And so for me, like, I don't think there's anything else that I could do. And so I think, you know, do the side hustle if you don't know, like you either know, I think, or you don't know. And I don't think you're necessarily born with it. You know, I, but I remember my son, right? I remember he's 26 now. And I remember waking him up for work. He started an apprenticeship and it was like, I don't know, the third or fourth day or something. And I'm waking him up. He was maybe 19 or 18 or something. And I'm like, Cody, you've got to wake up. You've got to go to work. And he, go, he looked at me and he goes, I can't believe that I have to do this 
every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And and now, and I remember just thinking the exact same thing, going to jobs and just watching the clock the entire time, thinking there's got to be something else I can be doing with my time. And so my son is an entrepreneur now. He's a, he's a tattooist and he's, you know, making a lot of money tattooing and he works his own hours and all the rest of it. And I remember saying to him at the time, why do you think I do what I do? I could never be sitting there watching the clock. So I think sometimes you know because you know that what you're doing is never going to be right for you. You're not going to be the person that is able to punch the clock from nine to five. You're just not that person. You might not necessarily know it's something else. So, you know, dabble out there, try the things. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, for example, launching your coaching business on the side and then saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to give this a go. And when I've got enough money coming in, I'm going to jump. But so many people, they don't make the jump and they're trying to do both and they don't do both well. And you have to make a decision. And my, I'm always making like the bold move. I will always be the person that just says, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going all in on this thing. And so if I was talking to somebody who had the, you know, the side hustle situation going on in their job, I'd be like, get some savings behind you, give yourself a month's worth of savings, and then, you know, cut the umbilical cord and go for it. Because that's what I would do, you know, but without the savings, probably I would just go, screw it. I'm just going to give it a crack. Like, cause I know what I know what I know. And this feels like the right thing to do. And I will always trust my instincts. Yeah. It's very interesting. Cause you're definitely at the more like jump at the end of the spectrum. One of my other guests on the podcast one time said, you should have two years worth of savings and replace your full-time income before you quit your job. And I was like, that is very conservative. I definitely didn't do that. I was fired. Like, that's why I had no choice. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. My experience was I was driving home. I, I, bought, I bought a new car. I signed a lease on a new apartment and I was fired that Monday. And I was like, perfect timing. And I realized that I don't want someone else to be able to affect my ability to feed my kids, pay my rent, live my life. Like I realize your boss has so much more power than you realize. And we often see this sense of security in a job until like everyone lost their jobs in the last year. It turns out if it's you or your boss, your boss is going to watch out for himself. I'm the same way. Like it's how we all are. So how can people, I guess, find the right path for themselves? Like what's the best way for people to learn more from you? I know you have a few books, you have a, few, a website. What's the best place where people can continue to learn more from you, Michelle? Because this has been amazing. And I know they're going to want to keep following you. Oh, thank you so much. So my website is michellehext.com. So if you go to michellehex.com forward slash Insta, I've got a page set up there. So I have like a, some freebies there. So I've got a freebie there and there's two of them at the moment, actually, you don't even need to opt in. You just go and watch them. And one is basically if you want to unpack the knowledge that you have and launch an online academy. So it's basically helping them to take the big idea, create a syllabus around it and, and launch it as an online academy of some description. The other one was a training that I did yesterday, which was about, yeah, really how to back yourself to, to play bigger in like 2022, which I know is like, don't you cringe when you're like, oh, next level you in 2022. And you're like, man, if I have to use that sentence one more time and we try to be creative, but it is what it is, right? Even though everybody's saying it. So there's a bunch of stuff there. I'm definitely on the Insta. And, but yeah, the best place to, to find me is on my website and you'll see there's buttons there. I have my own podcast as well. So that's the high ticket coach podcast. And so they can, they can go along and follow that too. Well, that sounds amazing. I'll make sure to put some links 
in the show notes as well so people can find you. Thank you so much for being here, Michelle. It's been amazing. And another amazing episode of the Serve No Master podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Serve No Master podcast. Make sure to subscribe so that together we can achieve true freedom.